baby boomers aging, people living longer, larger utilization or penetration rate related to senior housing. And that trend is a 20-year growth trend. And we believe it starts in about now. Today, you're going to hear part two with Adam Benton. He's going to give us his take on the future, right? What are they expecting in the real estate market and in senior living specifically as well? Obviously, that's his main focus. But he's also going to tell us like why senior living is a great investment. I appreciated his answer, just his depth on that also. And there's other things that come out of our conversation that I know are going to be beneficial for you. I enjoyed this time with him. They have scaled so fast. They're doing so many things well, and it's showing. I know you're going to learn a lot from him today on the Real Estate Syndication Show. Adam, welcome back to the show. I'm, I'm excited to have you back. You've accomplished a lot. You and your team, I mean, uh, you're in 10 states, 2,500 employees, 4,000 beds in senior housing. I mean, it doesn't happen again by sitting around, letting grass grow under your feet. By, by no means, you put in a ton of work. And we had a, a great show where we talked about many things around that asset class. You laid out many things that are so important to any entrepreneur in real estate, I, I feel like. I wanted to have some time with you uh, to talk about what the future looks like. And I know you all are not just haphazardly buying whatever, whenever and wherever, just because, right? I know you all are putting some time into what you think the future holds, right? And that's what we all want to know. And I know you already showed me your crystal ball there, literally. You already showed it to me. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it right now. He's holding it up. So I want to know, you know, what you all are thinking. And, uh, you know, let's dive back into those demographic trends and, and senior housing, but just also in real estate in general. Yeah, you bet. And Whitney, I'm excited to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. So you want me to answer this first question? Just our, our thoughts on, on real estate? Yeah, let's dive in. Just demographic trends, maybe focus on senior housing, but then we'll move into some other things, but uh, in real estate uh, in general as well. Great. So I'm going to go ahead and just squint into the future. And uh, as everybody knows, it's anybody's guess as, as to what it might look like in real estate. But there are some just general economic mechanics that happen that you just know about. Things like interest rate changes, changes to demographic. Those are things that you can absolutely look at to then measure, well, how's that worked in the past? And then how might that work in the future? So, you know, we're in an interesting time. In the last 10 years, it's been like from 2012 to 2022, you could just draw a straight line of progression in real estate. Anybody that you knew that was in real estate was just showing that it was working well for them and that performance was going great. As everybody knows, real estate runs in cycles and we're clearly in a cycle right now. And that's always a little bit challenging, but also creates a ton of opportunity if you know where to look. And if you're thoughtful about how to go forward, when we look at just the general trends in real estate, you know, one thing that we're seeing that's interesting is obviously the cost to build is not coming down right now. To some degree, it's getting softer. We believe that's going to come down a little bit. You're already starting to see some slowing down in terms of supply chain uh, related to lumber, for example. So today in the Wall Street Journal, it just talked about how there's a 30% reduction in lumber getting shipped into the US. And so that's a good indicator that things are probably calming down. Obviously, interest rates move moving up will have an absolute effect on slowing down a few things. One is making deals pencil related to building new stuff. Also, there's going to be some price expectations that need to match up in line. So we generally believe that things will come back down related to cost. But now on the flip side, the positive things that are going up are rents. For example, I'm here in Salt Lake City. Average rent two years ago went up by 26%. And this is me talking to Graystar, which is a massive multifamily operator in the space. This year, it was like mid-teens. That that's not slowing down. I think a lot of cities in the country had that same effect. In fact, we have a property, a uh, hundred unit multifamily project in Spokane, where we're seeing those kind of double digit increases as well. So those are on the positive 
positive side, but then uh, you flip back over to the negative, your payroll and your utilities and property property taxes, those are all going up as well. And it will just ultimately balance out. When we look at the future from a real estate standpoint, one, we think that diversification is always good. You can never, as, as much as we do our best to make investments, the reason why we try to get diversified is because we don't always get it right. And so it's good to have partners in diversification. Also uh, in general, in times like this, if you're uncertain, lower leverage helps so a little bit more down payment and equity into deals helps. And then the last thing is just, we sort of generally believe in just dollar cost averaging your way in, which is just, just keep doing deals. And each time there's going to be something that's a little bit different when you're doing your underwriting and just be very thoughtful and honest with yourself about the assumptions that you're making and whether those make sense going forward. So that's our crystal ball. It's not saying that it's, we definitely know that things are changing and therefore we think there's opportunities. And so to take advantage of that, we think a little bit lower leverage when you're coming in, a little bit more diversification, and then thoughtful as the areas that we're investing in. I don't know if you agree with that. But that's what we're thinking. Uh, no, it's great. No doubt about it. We hope costs come down a little bit for materials and whatnot. And interest rates are probably going to... They have slowed things down, I think, as far as transactions. But I, I think it will take a while for... Uh, and you mentioned it, like price expectations to align, right? You know, if you are a seller and you are about to list a project and you're kicking yourself, right? Why didn't I list three months ago? right? Or six months ago, why didn't I do that? Uh, and I think man, you're kicking yourself so much now. It's like, no, I'm still going to try to get it. I'm still going to try to get that same price when it's probably not going to happen today, right? If you're a seller and you're sitting looking at your property and you realize, man, I just got through COVID and I hit this kind of high valuation point and it's coming back down. And so their choice is one of two. It's either I sell now and take a little bit of a haircut on what I could have gotten in the summer or I wait like three or four years. You know, it's like, do I kick the can forward pretty far? Or do I just try to take this high point? Because in general, it'll probably come down and back up. That's how we look at it when we are working with sellers. And you know, that's what they're thinking in the back of their head is, you know, do I exit now or do I have to kind of wait a while? Yeah. And that's a good talking point too, when you're talking to a seller uh, and thinking through that. So I wanted to ask you, where do you get your information? Is there a specific, a few websites or a few places where it's like, Hey, I want to see this every day or at least once a week, or our team pulls this information together that helps us to see what interest rates are or what, what the Fed's doing or whatever it may be. What, what's important to you and where does it come from? So I start every day with the Wall Street Journal. There's usually a section that's just related to somewhat just broad economic stuff. Lots of places when she can find that information. And then generally the places that I like to get information that are widely available. One is if you work with like brokers, for example, oftentimes they'll have like a newsletter that their brokerage company sends out. And those are actually really good. Just market information. It's free and it's pretty relevant to the industry. So that's one. The second one is also banks and debt-related institutions that are dealing with real estate. For example, I get a weekly report that comes from basically a bank where they just line out where they think interest rates are. And even though my contact is just dealing within a specific region, they are usually using the research that they get from like their head guy on the national level that they roll out. Um, those are actually really helpful. And then I think the best way to get information that's going to be quicker than anything is just talking to people. And it's really just people that are in the know, in the industry, in the area that you're, that you're looking at. So when we look at, for example, this morning, um, we have a property in Spokane. And so, and we have a, we use Graystar as our manager and you know, they're the largest manager in the country. And so they have a lot of knowledge in talking to them about what they're seeing they give a lot of very good local color and feedback related to that market. And that's, in my opinion, 
the best way because they're going to tell you things like what leads are looking like, lead flow, what people are seeing in terms of when they're comparing your property versus another. And that's way better than anything that you can get from a research report or the Wall Street Journal. But you combine all that together and then you get a nice sort of top-down approach to the research. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that's great. I always love hearing like where people are getting their information. And I think it's a great point that I don't, I don't think I've heard before on the show. I do this some, but I haven't even thought about like suggesting this. Like we have a lender or two that like writes a report every week. Uh, and that, that's pretty helpful. You know, like uh, they just started sending it to me. And so I try to look through it, you know, when they send it. Uh, but there's some helpful things in there, you know, and obviously they have different data points and so many people in the industry they're connected to that they can draw all that from. That's a great point. Uh, I'm glad you said that. I don't know. The, the last few years, it was like, it wasn't that helpful because you get these things and the interest rate looks exactly the same and you're just plugging in your assumptions. And then now it's like every week, it's super helpful because it's just changing so quickly. And so sometimes these things are helpful. Sometimes they're not right now. Debt related stuff is incredibly helpful in my opinion. You know, what do you see like, uh, you know, how specific is, is, is some of that to senior housing versus just real estate in general? How do you think it through some of that? Pretty consistent. So senior housing is just uh, multifamily on steroids. So you've got your multifamily piece, but then you're adding food and care and activities and transportation. You're paying for the utilities or cable, right? A lot more employees. Yeah. And then instead of two employees, you've got a hundred, but the main base of it, the foundation is it's actually a multifamily project because of that, all the same math and metrics that go into owning a multifamily project is the same thing that you do for senior housing. So many of the reports are very similar. Now, the actual valuations and interest rates change a little bit. And then some of like the leverage related to purchasing a property, but the actual formulas and math behind it are exactly the same. What would you say, you know, if somebody is, you know, a little hesitant about investing in senior housing and even like right now, you know, and why senior housing? Obviously that's your bread and butter. So that's why I want to hear it from you because uh, you know that space so much better than I ever will. You know, I, I'm your investor on the phone, Adam. I'm like, why should I invest in senior housing specifically? Not you all as much, you know, uh, but just like that asset class. So I've been in senior housing for a decade. It's in fact, in just about a, a week, we hit our, our 10 year mark. There's a couple things that I, and, and first off, you got to remember, I look in the mirror every day, drinking the Kool-Aid saying this is the best industry to be in. And so I am a little biased, but I will tell you a few things related to senior housing. One, it's a very need-driven business. As much as it, it's like a combination of real estate where people are looking for great rents with really nice amenities and good locations. And then on the other half, there's a healthcare component to it. What that means is it's they're really looking for a good team that's going to take care of themselves or their mother or their loved one, right? That's a nice blend of those two when somebody's looking around. And because of that, that need-driven nature of the business, um, what we find is, is that in various economic conditions, there's always demand. That's probably number one. But in terms of um, what I think are the three main drivers of growth in senior housing, first is that baby boomers are aging, right? And so baby boomers are still kind of in their 60s or 70s. Our average age is 86 years old. And when you look at baby boomers, everybody thinks, okay, after World War II, then people came home and they had a bunch of babies, right? And that's baby boomers. But when you actually look at growth rates of births in the United States, it started in like the late 30s in the silent generation. It's actually 1936, 1937. And that trend goes up for 20 years straight. And there's a little blip during World War II. And that's where they delineate between silent generation and baby boomers. So when we look at it, if you just take 1937, which is when things started picking up, I'm going to do that on my phone. So 1937 plus 86, which is our average age, that gets to 2023. So we're sitting here in 2022 
And we believe that's the very beginning of just a huge demographic growth. So that's one is baby boomers aging. The second is just people living longer. Meeting somebody that was over 100 years old, 10, 15, even 20 years ago, was just like an amazing thing. And of our 30 locations, you can find at least a handful of people over 100 just every day, just at the property. So people are living longer. And then the last one is just the acceptance of senior housing, assisted living, independent living, memory care. You know, 20 years ago, it was maybe 8% of the population above 75 years old uses assisted living. Now, currently in the country, it's 13.5%. That's continued to grow in places where it's been around longer, like Portland or Seattle, it's more like 20%. So, and that's actually the largest growth factor. So to button it up, baby boomers aging, people living longer, larger utilization or penetration rate related to senior housing. And that trend is a 20-year growth trend. And we believe it starts in about now. That's the, the gist of it. Yeah, that's incredible information. And I don't know that I've heard many of those things are laid out that way. I have a grandfather that's 101, grandmother 94. They still live at home, believe it or not. So, so we've had to work through some of that, right? Or my mother uh, is, is working through all that. But, uh, you know, I was thinking through this and and we don't have a ton of time to spend on this, but I just wanted to hear, because uh, you mentioned like the healthcare part of it. Uh, and I, I just wondered, is because I don't know this business, but is the healthcare providers or that part of, of your business which is so important, right? I mean, the care of these individuals is like your bread and butter, I would think, right? Uh, you know, you want them to stay, right? You want the families to be happy and all that. Uh, and so are those people on your staff, the healthcare portion, or is that, are they employed by you or is that a third party? How does that work? That's a great question. So the answer is yes. So the 2,400 employees that we have today, that includes everything from the general manager, in our case, it's called an executive director, salespeople, business office manager, you have maintenance guys. A lot of that is uh, similar to what you might see in a multifamily project. And then you layer on like a chef, sous chefs, servers, dishwashers, that's your dining room. And then you have like a, a few uh, nurses like RNs and LPNs. And then they have uh, med techs and CNAs that help care for folks. And then you have activities people that, um, that actually run activities, do transportation. Those are all people on our staff. That truly makes a difference. We say that chandeliers don't give care, people do. So there's a big component to the fact that even though the building is important, unlike multifamily where it's incredibly important, the more important thing or equally important is also just the reputation of your staff and their ability to actually properly care for on the people that live in our locations. Now, we are private pay, which means that people are usually moving out of their home into an assisted living where they get more of these services or independent living. And it's more personal care. So we're not doing anything like IVs or tracheotomy or feeding tubes, none of that stuff. It's really just grooming, bathing, maybe help with escorting, things like that, that are more personal care not necessarily medical related. I think that's a key component. You think about the average length of stay of those of our residents, which is two and a half to three years, and the types of care that they need. When people think of senior housing, they think skilled nursing, kind of step away from a hospital, and maybe not smells good, and it's not the most exciting place to be. Um, that's really not the case in senior housing today. It's, it feels more like a cruise ship on land. Good way to think about it. That's a neat way to think about it right there. It is so much that community that you're building uh, for elderly, right? And one day us, no doubt, it's going to happen. I hope I get to grow old, right? Adam, no, that's great. And I, I want to change gears just a little bit here uh, to a few final questions and more on the operation side or whatnot. But but I, I wonder, like, what's your best source for meeting new investors right now? So meeting new investors. So one interesting thing that we have is that even though it's a little uncertain in the future, what we talked about, there is a ton 
of money on the sidelines that's trying to figure out how to actually invest in this economy. So we're seeing it every level where we have a few partners that are large institutional funds, multi-billion dollar funds that we work with, all the way down to we have properties where we have friends and family, individual investors, and everybody is reaching out saying, all right, uh, I have some money to place. Where do I place this? So we try to, just like we think about diversification and the places that we invest, we also actually believe in diversification in our investment pool of people and institutions. So that's something where we try to keep a wide net of relationships. Right now, we're seeing that it's a healthy time to raise and find new investors. And I think people, everyone would find that at every level. That's awesome. Any creative ways there though, that you all have gotten, you've been able to diversify and get in front of new people? Yeah, you know what? I'll give you one tip. So for a long time, we raised from institutional investors, right? And then we decided to raise friends and family. Well, the key with friends and family is it's like 506B, 506C kind of raising where there's some requirements around having an existing relationship and that sort of stuff. So we had never done it before. So I read a couple of books about it. And then what I did is I just went onto my LinkedIn and looked through everybody that I've sort of connected with over the years. And I pulled out profiles that I thought of people that might be interested in. And I ended up with about 800 names of the 5,000 people right now that, that I'm connected to. Of those 800, I then actually, I didn't have the most recent contact different information for everybody. I hired a group on Fiverr to then just go and plug in all of the contact information for everybody. And then I, I use that as my starting point for raising friends and family. So even though I had these connections, I didn't have a great database of where people were today, um, where I've met through working in New York or in business school or through church or just friends over the years. And that was a really good way to start in what seems like a daunting task and to skip a step that would have taken me quite a while was to actually hire out the updating of contact information for everybody. What are some of the most important metrics that you track? It could be personally or, or professionally, either one. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll do it on personal. I have something that I consider, I call it the perfect day. And uh, you know, everybody's kind of planning for a perfect future, but it's really just now. This is where we're at is today. So I have just a handful of things that are simple that I want to get done every day. So, you know, an obvious one is, um, so I'll tell you a few of them. One is, is working out at least like 20 minutes a day. That's not a big deal or just getting sweaty in some way. That's one. The second one is I like to just write in a journal. So at night, I typically have, there's a lot of apps for that. And then the third one, I try to get like a solid good night of sleep. And then the fourth one is I try to get some sort of direct sun exposure every day. I just feel like if I just do those things, that usually is the good foundation for having a really good day. Now, I still want to make sure that I'm having good connections with my kids and my family and then just showing up to work. But I feel like the best way to show up is to just do those kind of self-care things at the first. If I can just check those off, say, hey, that's a perfect day. So it might be different for everybody what that perfect day might look like, but that's fine. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Do those things that you just mentioned. You're going to have a better day <laughs> and probably be a lot more productive. And it's the consistency over time, right? They seem like small things, but they're actually things that most people don't get around to doing or creating habits around, right? So it's incredible. So, but on that thought, and maybe you just answered it, but I want to ask anyway, some habits that you're disciplined about that have produced the highest return for you. Let's see. There's a few. One that I learned when I was trying to raise money, even though I had met friends just over the years, I'm, I'm 40 now. So you just meet people over time. What I found was when we decided to go out and raise friends and family money, that people that were good friends, but I might not have talked to for four or five years, it was a real odd conversation to call up. And the first thing I'm talking about is investing in a deal. Didn't seem very genuine. That was about two years ago. 
And I realized that I had fallen away on a just a key habit, which is just keeping in touch with people. So I just make sure that, and I have it on my calendar where I just have a certain amount of time every day that's just really dedicated to making sure that I'm touching base with people that I haven't talked to in a while, just in a genuine way. We don't have any investments that come up that often, but it's also just a good habit. And quite frankly, it's more fun to just keep up with friends that you've just known over the years. So that's a habit that actually part of my perfect day. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? One thing is, um, so progress isn't linear, right? As much as you'd want to just draw a nice straight line and just saying, oh yeah, things are going great. And success is different for everybody. I think just consistency is just so important. It's just easy to get discouraged or disillusioned by something and changing path quite a bit. And just especially during these different volatile times. And But if you look back over the arc of a period of time, you'll just realize that it's actually going the right direction. Just consistency and moving forward and making sure you have the right goals that are going to make you happy. That's what I would say. So if you had to be consistent in like just one or two things, you, you could only tell us one or two things, what would they be? One is just showing up. I, I like the concept of showing up. You can be there physically, but I mean, showing up there just mentally. And if you're going to be dedicating time to doing something, show up, you know, do it right. And so that's one. And then that goes for work as well as for home. So everything that you're doing in your house. And um, those are two of my main priorities. I've got five kids. Uh, they're really young right now. And so as much as I'm, I could spend just 80 hours a week at work, I have to just shut it off and go, I'm going to show up. So at home showing up for me is there are times where I know are just key in my kids' lives. And that's usually, and it's not necessarily a quantity time. It's just like, I've got to be there when they're going to school, or I have to be there when they're in bed. I can shift some of the work that I'm doing to later or earlier, but I'm going to make sure that those times are wide open because they're key in my kids' lives. So showing up and just being there physically and mentally. Love that. I appreciate your importance on that and elaborating on that. I talk often. I actually just recommended a book. I'm recommending it more and more to people now. I met a guy recently at a conference, uh, the author of this book, his name is Jim Shields. And uh, he wrote the book called uh, The Family Board Meeting. And uh, it's very short. And to the point, and it needs to be for busy entrepreneurs, right? It really lays out some meeting cadences for your children, for you and your kids and having just that quality one-on-one -on -one time. And, uh, you know, for, for me, if I'm not purposeful with it and put it on the calendar and think about it, it may not happen, right? And you think, oh, no, I don't want to be that structured with my kids or, you know, I just want to be more available. Well, fine. But most of us don't get around to doing that. Right. Uh, and so but what I found is, man, when they know that time's coming, right, they're, they're excited about it. And they just they love that. Hey, dad is he set this time aside for me. Uh, but anyway, I won't spoil it all. But there's some other things in there that he talks about just to make that a very special time. So I encourage you to look it up uh, as well. Adam, how do you like to give back? Giving back is obviously something that you do personally. So one thing that so of my kids, I have my, our three-year-old has Down syndrome. So we're trying to do things related to that. It's something that's new to me, which is just this community that's fantastic, but it still needs a fair amount of help. So a lot of what we do related to giving back has to do with that community. And then we're just working on ways. And I don't want to talk about it just yet, but we are working on ways in which in our business, which is senior housing, we're seeing a lot of abilities to be able to work with kids with special needs. And right now there's a lot of good services related to kids with special needs all the way up until they get about 20 and have to leave school. And then it's a little unclear as to what's going to happen after that. So our goal is just to try to make more available, more opportunities in work 
and uh, social connections with kids with special needs. And we feel like we can do that with our business that we have right now. So that's what we're working on right now. And I'm pretty excited about it, but more to come on that. Uh, That's incredible. It seems like, yeah, with your system that you have now, I mean, between senior housing and the the healthcare connection, all these things, man, that's incredible that... uh how you're going to be used for that as well. So uh, Adam, grateful for your time and having you on the show. You, you've been amazing. Uh, just provided so much information and transparency uh, and, and just your all's ability to scale and to grow and what you all have gone through uh, to get there. I mean, like I said, it just doesn't happen by accident to have 2,500 employees and, and be in 10 states. And uh, so it's very impressive and just grateful uh, for that. But even your outlook on the real estate market and senior living uh, specifically, I think what you said around that too, I think was so helpful for probably many that are like contemplating you know, should I consider senior living? And, and, and there's probably other things we could ask there, no doubt about it. Uh, but I think it's so helpful uh, what you, how you, how you elaborated on that. But so tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. So there's two ways. One, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's just Adam Benton. If you look up Stellar Senior Living, you'll find me. I'm happy to connect and happy to talk about more about senior housing or about real estate in general. And then the second way, our website, which is stellarliving.com. Um, we do have an investor portal. Uh, you just fill out your name and you can schedule a time and we can talk to you. If you just want to learn more about senior housing, if you have a deal that you want to look at, we're happy to connect and give you feedback on that. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.